0: All right, well, good morning, and happy Resurrection Day today. And, uh, boy, excited to uh, spend a day rejoicing in the resurrection of our blessed Savior. And um, what a joy that is. I was reading and studying some things this week and just got excited reading it all through once again. And um, to think about the fact that we have a risen Savior. Uh, It's amazing. I was even thinking this this week. You know, there's a lot of... uh, a lot of religious groups out there that are not doctrinally sound. But, you know, one thing they do still hold to, and that is that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And even those that are in error uh, agree on that point, uh, that Christ rose from the dead. And, boy, what a great, great uh, – in fact, uh, the Bible uh, talks about that being such an important thing. If he hadn't risen from the dead, then he would not have been who he claimed to be – And he would not have been able to do what he claimed he could do, uh, which was to give us uh, salvation. And so, uh, great joy this morning to uh, celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We had hoped today to do an outdoor service, and there were several uh, factors that uh, caused us perhaps not to do that. And so, uh, we trust that you'll enjoy uh, the live stream this morning and hope it'll be a help and a blessing to you. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37 this morning if you want to turn there in your Bibles and uh, do keep in prayer if you will. Miss um, uh, June Boland who I did talk to this week and she's uh, had some things she's done better in. Uh, some of her blood counts are still really low. Um, they uh, are trying to get her to do her chemo again, and she's had about three weeks off of uh, her chemo because of her blood counts being too low uh, to even have the chemo. Uh, and that's been kind of a, a blessing, and yet also something in, that's need, needing to be uh, uh, dealt with in prayer. Uh, one of the things is her body, uh, the newer chemo for the cancer, was very, very, took a, took a big toll on her. And so the three weeks off has given her time to recover from that a little bit. Her body has recovered so that's that was a blessing, but uh the cancer is needful for the the chemo, so she's kind of uh kind of between a rock and a hard place on that, and so pray that uh, God will bless there she'll be able to get the treatment that she needs, and then that the uh when she does get it that the side effects uh will not be as drastic as they have been uh that God would be gracious in that area and so pray for that she's uh the chemo she's on right now is. Uh, having the typical results of what you uh, expect most people to have uh, when they have a uh, uh, heavy chemotherapy treatment. So keep her in mind. I did uh, find out that Brother Bob uh, Schwabert uh, has had a few good days. There was a week, uh, day this week or uh, beginning of the week uh, where he was able to even get outside for a little bit and sit out under a tree and uh, get some fresh air. And so continue to pray for him. Uh, and the family there uh, also continue to pray for Laverne Payne, who's recovering uh, from her surgeries and uh, they're trying to make some decisions. I think at this point, uh, Miss Sandy, I think it was, tried to get a hold of her the other day. Or I'm sorry, Linda Craig tried to get a hold of her the other day. And uh, we cannot get a hold of her at her place or her phone. So we're assuming that she's at her daughter's house. Uh, but do keep uh, her in prayer, if you will. Also continue to pray for Linda Craig. And Jennifer, uh, has been calling me almost every day this week and they're just about to go stir crazy over there at my place, residential, Jennifer Craig. And so I told her I'd pray. We'd mention her in prayer at church, um, for them. She was really hoping that by Easter they would lift the quarantine. I guess they even have to keep them in their rooms. And so it's been very, very, uh, difficult for her. So keep her in prayer if you will. And then, um, also pray for uh sarah harris uh and brother jess uh and sarah's uh, had some heart problems here in the last several weeks and they think they've got that straightened out but continue to pray for her and that situation and then uh, i thought of Jean whitener a lot here lately and so pray for her if you will um at an assisted living home uh over by scenic view and so keep her in prayer if you will i have not heard or talked with her in a while so uh, she's just been on my heart, so keep her in prayer, if you will. And then also the, the church building, uh, over in DeSoto that needs to be, uh, sold. And pray that God will bring the right person along. And maybe right after this coronavirus, there'll be a lot of people looking for things to buy, <laughs> hopefully. And, uh, go by there and see that and, uh, and get that thing sold and out. Uh, off the burden off their shoulders on that one. So, a lot of things to be in prayer for. Uh, continue to keep praying for my sister. We've not got any new updates yet, uh, from the doctors or answers from the doctors yet. Uh, so at this point, uh, we're still in just kind of a holding pattern waiting to hear anything more from that. And, uh, so pray for that if you would. Alright, any other prayer requests that we need to mention this morning that you can think of? What was the young man's name Wednesday? I think you mentioned. Okay, good. All right. I didn't get one. Okay. Okay. Okay, all right, so Brother Waymire's uncle... Uh, who took a fall and has a brain bleed or something in the brain that's affecting him. Okay, so pray for that one, if you will. All right. Anything else we can think of? All right, and then pray for the coronavirus, obviously, and our folks. Uh, I know many of our members here and uh, folks who have been attending are uh, missing being together, and, and we can relate to that and understand that. So pray that uh, we can get back together soon on that. All right, let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the day that you've given to us, and what a wonderful day to spend celebrating your resurrection. And, Lord, I pray that it would just not be one time a year that we dwell and think upon it, but I pray that it would be every day that we rejoice in the fact that we have a risen Savior. And, Lord, we do rejoice this morning. We thank you so much for the great sacrifice that was given for us We thank you for you being who you were and being able to uh, have the power and the strength and the might to overcome sin and hell and the grave and that you've given us victory. And we're thankful for that. And I pray that you would bless in the days and weeks to follow as we rejoice in that, as we uh, do our best to point men to you. I pray that you would uh, enable us and strengthen us for the work and the labor that is so needful in these final hours. As we look at these things of this world and believe that your coming is very soon, I pray that you would help us to be diligent, that your Holy Spirit will go before us and prepare hearts and strengthen us and to call to memory uh, the things that we need to know and be able to say to bring people to uh, the point of salvation, that they would make that decision and in their lives trust you as their Savior. We do pray that you would bless these requests that we've mentioned this morning. Uh, that uh, you will draw very near to those that are needing physical strength. And I think of Miss June today, uh, especially, that is uh, needing to get the chemo. And yet, Lord, when she gets the chemo, it seems like it just really uh, depletes her energy and strength and uh, some of the other side effects that go with that. And, Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow uh, there to be a hand of healing upon her, that she would not be needful of the chemo very much longer. And then, Father, also that during the time that she is having it, that you would allow the the side effects to subside, and that they would not be as uh, pronounced as they have been, we think of uh, Jennifer Craig this week and Lord uh, numerous times this week she's just called to to talk and just uh, because she's had such a difficult time there uh, being uh, in in her room and so pray that uh, Lord, you would allow her very soon to uh, get out of there and to, to have some time to um, uh, go places and Lord I know a lot of our people that are dealing with things like this and I pray that you would uh, give grace and help to increase our patience and uh, that you would draw very near to us in those times. We think of uh, Brother Waymeyer's uncle that was mentioned this morning and that you would touch his body and strengthen him and uh, Lord that you would give the doctor skill and understanding to know how best to treat him. And after all has been done by human hands, I pray that your will would be done, that you would have your hand upon him. And then, Lord, for the church building, and you know we've been praying for uh, several months now for this to sell, and I pray that you would bring along the right person at the right time uh, to be able to make use of that building and uh, to take that burden off of these folks. And I pray that you would bless our church services and uh, guide and direct us throughout this day as we look into your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will guide and direct us and help us to understand uh, the truth of your word. And so, Father, we ask for your help and your aid this morning. We understand that without you speaking to hearts, then, Lord, it really matters very little what is said from here. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will do his work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter number 37. Genesis 37. We're getting to the end of the book of Genesis, and it's only taken us a year, so we're doing pretty good. Uh, Miss Kim Dielman has asked that we just go book by book, and we may do that. Uh, At that rate, it'll take us 66 years to get through the Scripture, (laughs) but uh, it hasn't been good. I don't know about y'all. I've enjoyed it. I really have enjoyed going through it. There is so much in it, and uh, you know, we can... We can go back when we're done with the book of Genesis and go through it again and find even more that we haven't even begun. to. And the Bible is like that, isn't it? So often uh, we get so much out of it and then at another point in time we'll come back to it and there's something more there for us and uh, that we didn't see before. And so we're excited about that. Last week we started this chapter and uh, dealt with the idea of Je- uh, Joseph uh, dreaming a dream. He's, of course, Jacob's favorite uh he was the firstborn born uh, by uh by Rachel and uh so understanding that uh Joseph is dreaming these dreams and God is kind of giving him um, a foreknowledge or a foresight of what's to come in his life and one of the things we pointed out last week that I think is is pretty amazing because we know the life of Joseph we know his character uh we know his faithfulness to God even in times when most people would have Uh, turned from God or failed him, Um, we find that Joseph uh, was faithful, even though God did not show him all of the things that he was going to have to endure. In fact, all that God really showed him was kind of the end of the matter, wasn't it? And when all of these other things happened in the middle, uh, it's easy for us to look at that and say, Boy, Joseph, boy, way to go, buddy, you did a great job there. But the truth is, if any one of us had been in those situations, I wonder how many times something would have happened that happened like what happened to Joseph that we would have sat and questioned, Lord, uh, what's going on here? I, th- I thought these dreams were to show me what your blessings were going to be on my life. And uh, God doesn't always show us every step of the way, does he? Um, maybe, maybe he does it so we don't uh, have too much fear at the onset of it. I don't know. But, you know, one thing that we can learn from Joseph is we can always trust God because we know that if God has said it, that it's going to come to pass. And uh, we can hold to that, and it gives us great, uh, great strength. It gives us great faith and uh, allows us to be steadfast in trying times, doesn't it? Uh, when our, when our uh, uh, spiritual condition begins to get cold or weak, uh, and trials come our way, we can still hold fast to the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is is a God who keeps His word, and I'm thankful that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, I just I loved that thought last week and wanted to reiterate that. We're going to begin in verse 12, and uh, I, I'm going to back up to verse 11 for just a minute because it's it's important as we get into the next few verses here. And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. So I want you to understand it from verse number 11, before we get to verse 12, uh, the relationship that Joseph has with his brothers. Earlier in the chapter, we find that he brought an evil report to his dad about what his brothers were doing. So obviously, uh, his brothers were not um, uh, spiritual giants, okay? They, they weren't the ones that were the men of character, the examples, especially his older brother uh, brethren. They should have been. Uh, a spiritual example to Joseph. They should have been the ones that were leading the way. And yet we find that they were not so. In fact, Joseph goes and brings an evil report, and they uh, don't like him. And then he tells them the dreams, and they don't like him even more. And so understand this relationship, because what we're getting ready to look at here in the next few verses is a lesson that I think we can learn that, that will be a help to us. In verse 12 it says, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock, and I want you to notice this. Where did they go to feed the flock? They go to Shechem, of all places. I mean, this is where they had come from when all these things were happening and nothing good happened in Shechem. This is where uh, the, the boys had uh, pretty much wiped out and gone in and, and killed all of the folks there at Shechem. Uh, they committed murder and retaliation for their sister uh this is this is a place where uh they put away their gods. They buried their little gods under the the oak tree there or the tree there and they went to Bethel. And uh this is where God called them from, told them not to not to be there. They needed to be in Bethel. And you know how often we look at this and, and if we're not careful we'll read just over that passage and not give a whole lot of thought to it. But you know, I I, I think of this in our lives so often uh, when we are Christians and, and we think back to the life that we used to live, um, we know that we really don't want to go back to that life. But how often the flesh nature begins to entice us again. And we go back and we find ourselves sometimes doing the same things we used to do, and, and we really don't have the desire to do that in, in the spiritual side of things. But for some reason, that old nature seems to get a hold of us, doesn't it? And it's always drawing us, and it's always pulling us. And here we find these these boys. The first chance they get. I mean, this is no small distance for these fellas to take the sheep and uh, to go and, and to shepherd these flocks. I mean, they didn't go uh, just a couple miles down the road to greener pastures. They went several days' journey over to Shechem. I mean, this is a this is a far uh, tri- trip for these guys, and and it was done, I believe, intentionally. There's no other explanation why they would go there from, uh, from Canaan where they were living with their father all the way over to Shechem again and to, and to have the flocks there. And it caused you to think this thought that these boys wanted to have that lifestyle again. That, that life was drawing them. And so they go to Shechem in verse number 13. The Bible says, And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the, feed the flock in Shechem. Now again, I hold, I hold this uh, uh, to, uh, Jacob. I, I look at Jacob and say, okay, at this point, he's, he's living his life as a prince with God. He's being called Israel at this point. He's gotten to a point where I think he's turned the corner spiritually. But yet he's still allowing his children to go back to Shechem. They, they, they go and he, he's like, okay, fellas, we'll see you. Have a good time, you know. And, and he doesn't keep them from going back there. And it says, do thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? So we know that Jacob knew where they were at. He says, Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, This is important to me. And he said unto him, Here am I. Now, now think about that for a moment. In verse number 11, we find that his brethren envied him. Do you think that Joseph knew that? (laughs) Do you think that there were maybe some words that were exchanged between Joseph and his brethren? Don't you think that maybe Joseph knew that uh, Dad's getting ready to send me several days away to go check on my brethren and these guys hate me? There's probably an element of danger or not knowing what's going to happen at the other end of this thing. Do you think that those thoughts could easily have come into Joseph's mind? I believe from verse number 11, the answer to that would be sure. I think he's, I think he's very aware of what could happen. But I want you to notice his willingness to submit to the authority of his father. His father says, I want you to go check on the brethren in Shechem." And Joseph's answer was, here I am. I've seen this so often in the Old Testament, and I think it's a wonderful tribute to some of the Old Testament saints that when uh, certain times come upon their life, God comes to uh, Abraham uh, and is getting ready to ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And he goes and he calls Abraham by name. The Bible says he, says, he calls him by name and says Abraham. And Abraham, before God even tells him what he wants, Abraham says, here am I. How often, uh, even back in uh, the time of Samuel, uh, if you'll think about the time of Samuel when he was in the temple, and God came and called him by name. And he thought it was Eli, and he went to Eli, and Eli said, I didn't call you, go back. And uh, three times God calls him. And finally, Eli says, if he calls you again, he said, it's going to be the Lord. He said, just say, here am I. And when the Lord called Samuel again, you know what Samuel's response was? Here am I. Can I tell you that I think it would be a wonderful commentary in our Christian lives today if we would have a spirit of yieldedness to the leading of the Lord, that whenever he would call upon us before we even know what he wants us to do, our answer is already yes. Yes. It doesn't matter what the Lord is getting ready to ask me to do. I know and I can trust that it's in my best interest and it's for His glory and I can trust that and say yes. And here Joseph Joseph answers his father and says, Here I am. I'm going to go down there. I'm going to submit to this. Even knowing that there were going to be probably some problems and at least some confrontation and friction there, he goes and he's willing to do what his father says. And he said unto him, Go, I pray thee, see whether... It be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And this, again, is a tribute to Joseph's character, because understanding that there's probably not the best reception waiting for him. I, I can could, I could imagine if he was like I was when I was a teenager, or like my son sometimes is, We obey, but we obey grudgingly. Y'all remember doing that when you were little? Uh, Obey grudgingly. Okay, Dad, I'll do it because I have to, you know. And and, uh, there were times that I did the letter of the law of what my dad said. And as soon as I accomplished it, I was done. That was the bare minimum to obey. And I have obeyed. Any of you ever been guilty of that in years past? (laughs) You, You know where that line is. In fact, in the New Testament, during uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on uh, the, the earth, uh, on, in, during the, his earthly ministry, uh, the Jews were under Roman occupation. They were under uh, Roman rule. And in Jerusalem, there was a law that said that a Roman soldier could constrict a young Jewish boy to carry his load up to one mile. And so a lot of these boys would go around, and they knew where the key places were where these soldiers would get them most of the time. And they would literally mark off one mile and put a stake. And they would go all that distance, and they would drop that burden all the way down there. And you know what the Lord Jesus Christ taught about that? He said if one compel you to go a mile, he said go with them twain. He said go the second mile. Be a testimony. And you know how oftentimes uh, we, as, as as young people, when our parents told us to do something, we obeyed technically everything they said, but we didn't go any further. And we look at this, and it would have been very simple, especially with Joseph knowing what was waiting at the end of this trip, for him to go to Shechem. That's where his dad told him to go. And the brother would not be there, and for him to come back and say, Dad, I tried. I couldn't find them. But he doesn't do this, and it speaks highly to his character. He goes and he asks the strangers in the area, he says, Have you seen my brethren? Where are they at? And he goes another several hours' journey uh, to go find his brethren in Dothan. Now, I want to say this about that principle, because we can all relate to doing that with our, our families when we were younger, perhaps before we learned to have a little more character in our lives. But the truth is, how often do we do the bare minimum of what God has asked us to do? We We tiptoe that fine line. God, I'm not sinning. I'm right at the edge of where you've told me I can't go. Or, I, I've done it for you, Lord, but I've not, I'm not doing an ounce more than what you've asked me to do. Oh, that we would have a group of folks that love God and they don't serve because they have to. They serve because they get to. Because it's an honor and it's a privilege to serve the Lord. And, and Joseph looked at this. He wasn't doing this, by the way, for his brethren's sake. Do you, do you get that so far from the passage? He's doing it for his father's sake. He's doing it for the love that he has for his father. And in verse number 18, and when they saw him afar off, speaking of his brethren, uh, back up verse 17. And the man said, they are departed hence, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when he saw them afar off, or when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. This is how badly his brethren hated him. You can't, you can't read this passage without realizing that Joseph knew how his brothers felt about him. Yet he continues on, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Now, come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him in some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben, now remember Reuben is the eldest one, Reuben is the one that slept with one of his father's concubines and kind of lost that position of the firstborn and the, the authority, the reverence, the respect that the dad was supposed to have and the, the, to get the birthright and the blessing and all of that. Uh, Reuben's kind of lost out of that position at this point. And, uh, and he's really kind of a weak-kneed character kind of a fellow. Because the Bible says, and Reuben heard it, and he delivered the, him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Now, we would read that verse, and if we're not careful, we'll think, okay, Reuben had a soft spot in his heart for Joseph. That is not the case. Reuben felt the same way his brothers did. However, we find him, and I'll show you why in just a moment here. In verse number 22, And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, notice his intent here, to deliver him, what are the next four words? To his father again. You know what Reuben's concern was? What's dad gonna think? It wasn't, boy I don't want my, this is my baby brother and I love him and I don't want him hurt. Reuben didn't care what happened to Joseph. What Reuben cared about is what is my dad gonna think? He's trying to get back in the good graces of his father. He's more concerned about what his dad thinks than he is about the well-being of Joseph himself. We'll find the, that also as we go over to verse number 29. At some point, Reuben leaves the group, and we don't understand. The Bible doesn't tell us why or for how long. But for some reason, he leaves the group for a while. He comes back, and when he comes back, we pick up reading in verse number 29. While Reuben's gone, by the way, the brother, the brothers see a caravan, and they sell their brother into slavery. We'll read about that here in just a moment. So Reuben returns, verse number 29. And Reuben returned under the pit. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. Again, not because he was sorrowful for Joseph. But notice what it says, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, the child is not, and I, whither shall I go? You know what he was saying? Dad is going to kill me. I'm the oldest, and he is going to hold the responsibility of Joseph's well-being as my responsibility. He did not care a bit about Joseph, but he did care a lot about what his dad thought. And I want to say this because we find a beautiful picture. I say beautiful picture. We find a very distinct picture of uh, people that try to put one foot in the world and one foot on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they try to straddle the fence. Here's Reuben, and, uh, and the brothers want to, unanimously, they want to kill their brother. And Reuben says, no, 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 no. Let's, uh, let's not kill him, let's put him in a pit. Now, notice he doesn't tell them why he's wanting to put him in a pit. In their minds, they're probably thinking, oh, yeah, that'd be far better, we're not going to shed his blood, we're just going to let him starve and, and freeze to death down in the bottom of this pit, and that'll be far better. Then we could sleep a little easier at night. But he tells them half of the story, and he's trying to appease his evil brother's and he's trying to appease his spiritual father. He's trying to have the best of both worlds here. And here we find a picture of the old nature and the new nature fighting and warring one with the other. And so many times in our Christian lives, we try to live the Christian life. We have the desire to live the Christian life, but we try to keep one foot in the world, and we find that that never works. It never works. So they're always at enmity with each other. Now, verse number twenty-four. If you'll, verse number twenty-three. Excuse me. If you'll back up. We'll see what has transpired in between these times. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and looked, and behold, a company of the Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt, and Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not their hand, our hand, be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And our brethren were and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites merchant men, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now I'm not going to take a lot of time this morning to show all the parallels between the life of Joseph and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But both of them were sold. And it's interesting to me that there is a a lot of things, and if you have time to study through uh, and take some time to look at the picture of Joseph and the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find a lot of things that Joseph pictures about our blessed Savior. And I want to encourage you to spend some time on that. Uh, In verse number uh, 31, the Bible says, And they took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid of the co- uh, of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father, and said, "This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no." And he knew it, and said, "It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces." And Jacob rent his clothes, and put sackcloth upon his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons, and all his daughters. Rose up! Look at this to comfort him. Now, if if this isn't the epitome of hypocrisy, they are the ones that caused the sorrow, and then they come along and they try to act like they're giving comfort to their father. How oftentimes, and we live in a day uh, where uh, there is, uh, and the Bible speaks of it uh, that there's a danger of this. But the, how oftentimes do we see someone who is overtaken in a fault? Let's say. And outwardly, we seem sympathetic, but on the inside, there's almost an idea or a mindset, well, I'm much better than they are now. And I know a lot of times growing up, uh, I have an older sister, and she's probably watching this this morning. She'll probably watch this this morning, so she's probably going to shoot me for this. But if you ever grew up with an older sister, they always get you in trouble. They tell on you for every little thing. Even things you didn't do, they make them up and tell on you. And, I mean, they're going to find ways to get you in trouble and uh, there were times that uh, as little kids that one or the other of us got in trouble and outwardly we would be seeming like we were sad for the other the other one but inwardly we are like haha i got them yeah and there was almost a glee to it you know the sad thing is uh, there is a tendency sometimes in our nature uh when when people that uh fall into sin or they 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 have some problem that they're dealing with There is an outward sense of concern, but not an inward sense of compassion. And I think this is something that, again, is pictured here very clearly, that here these boys are trying to put on an outward form of comforting their father when the truth of the matter is in their heart of hearts there was no compassion there. There was no love lost in this whole ordeal of of losing their brethren. And something that we can look at and, and examine our hearts Because there are times that we do things like that or we'll feel things like that and we won't even realize it. We won't put conscious thought to it and say, well, that's what I'm doing. But it'll happen in our hearts and our lives. We've got to be so careful of those things. And uh, so in verse number 35, they rise up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son uh, mourning. Thus his father wept for him and the Midianites, sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's. And captain of the guard. Now next week we're going to pick up in chapter number thirty-eight. And actually we'll go a little bit into it now. We're a little bit early, so we'll go a little bit into it today. Let's do that. Uh, but we're going to find something here that uh God is putting some things in place. There's no mistaking the fact that that he was sold to Potiphar specifically. And you'll see how God orchestrates uh what what he's getting ready to do in Joseph's life. And I'll tell you this, uh, when you get to the end of it and look back, then you have to say it was God that orchestrated it. Because if Joseph had been the one in charge of all that, it, there's no way he would have ended up where he ended up. And uh, there are so many times that we look at circumstances in our life and we're trying and, and, and doing our best to pursue God and to, and to follow after Him and to be sensitive to Him. And we'll have circumstances come into our life and we will begin to question God a lot of times. So we're going to see some things here as we get into chapter number thirty-eight. Actually, uh, we're going to not—I'm sorry—not in thirty-eight. Uh, we're going to find it in chapter number thirty-nine. In chapter thirty-eight, uh, there's a pause in the story. So I'm going to go on to thirty-nine, and then we're going to come back to thirty-eight here uh, probably next Sunday. So let's move on over to chapter number thirty-nine, and because uh, there's almost like a, a parenthetical insert here in the chapter thirty-eight. I apologize for getting you confused there. So chapter thirty-nine, and Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him at the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord... Do you see this? And we're going to see this phrase over and over and over again here over the next few chapters. And the Lord was with Joseph. So who who is the one that is orchestrating what's going on here? It's the Lord, isn't it? Uh, you know, when Jesus was in His earthly ministry, there was a point where... Um, He was out in the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted uh, by Satan. You remember that story? And the Bible says, before it talks about him being tempted, that he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. There are times that God will bring us into some things, but understanding that he's fully in control of all of it at all times. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Boy, what a testimony. It would be wonderful if it could be said of you and I, when people look at us, that they would look at our lives and say, Boy, there's somebody that the Lord has His hand on. There's somebody that has a relationship with God. It Wouldn't it be wonderful if the world could look at us and say, There's a Christian. They don't have to scratch their head and wonder. Years ago, uh, my dad wanted to have an FM radio station. And had been praying for that for about 25 years, and finally the Lord allowed us to, to start a FM radio station down in Florida the church we were down down there that He had started, and um, and I'll never forget when He was. I said, Dad, what do we want to do? We're gonna we got the station, we got the license. What are we gonna put on the air? Now we got to come up with stuff to put on the air. And His statement was this: He said, Greg, I want to make sure that the moment somebody tunes in this station, there is no question in their mind it is distinctively Christian. He said, I don't want it to sound like the world. I don't want it to look like the world or smell like the world. I don't want them to sit there and have to listen for a while to figure out what kind of a station this is. I want them at the very moment they hear the first few notes of music or the first few words they hear for it to be distinctively Christian. And that station has held to that over all these years now, and I thank the Lord for it and their faithfulness. There's been times that people have come to them and pressured and tried to get them to change the format and to go to a different kind of thing, and they have held to the thing of, no, we want to be distinctively Christian. We don't want there to be any question in anybody's mind. Can I tell you, that's the way it ought to be about our lives. When somebody looks at our life, when they're around us for the briefest of moments, There ought not to be somebody sitting around scratching their head saying, I wonder if that's a Christian or not. Or there not to be any thought about Christianity at all. But there ought to be something about us. There was a, we were in a, my family and I years ago were on vacation. We were in a mall walking down an aisle. and We were in a town that was about 35, 40 miles from a well-known Christian college at the time. And we're walking down the, the corridor, the main thoroughfare of this mall, and there's a group of young people coming toward us. And from the moment I saw them, I said, I bet they're from that college. I mean, I saw them from a distance and knew that they were from that college. You say, well, Brother Greg, how would you know? Well, one way was they were dressed in a certain way. A way that was very modest, very pleasing, very clear, very sharp. Uh, everything looked good. But, but there was also something in their countenance. There was a smile. There was a brightness in their eyes. There was, there was something about them. And sure enough, as we stopped to talk to them, we found out they were from that college. And I said, you know, I could tell from a long ways away. I knew that. And and it's amazing how oftentimes people can come into the presence of a Christian or somebody that trusts Christ as their Savior and never even one time know or suspect that they're saved. And I say that to our shame. It's a travesty that we don't look more like a Christian and act more like a Christian and that the Holy Spirit of God be so upon us that there is a distinctness about us Here we find in verse number 2 that the Lord was with Joseph and he was prosperous man and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. Notice verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. His own own master sat up and took notice. Here is a man that has the hand of God and the presence of God on his life. In verse 4, and Joseph found grace in his sight. And he served him, and made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. And it came to pass, from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and over all that he had, that the Lord, notice again, we've seen this now three or four times, haven't we, already in this chapter. And the Lord, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house, notice this, not because Potiphar was a godly man. Not because his family was a godly family, but he blessed Potiphar's house for what reason? For Joseph's sake. For Joseph's sake. We've taught and preached on this many, many times. We miss so often in the day that we live the impact that our life and how we live it will affect those around us. And I say that if we live a life that is worldly, it will affect the people around us in a negative way. If we live a life that is godly, it will affect those around us in a spiritual way and in a very good way. He blesses Potiphar's house. He puts his hand upon Potiphar's house, not because Potiphar is a godly man, but because of Joseph and because of his godliness and his character. And it came to pass from that time, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field, speaking of everything that Potiphar had. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Boy, speaking highly of this man's character. Now, something that is amazing to me—I mentioned it briefly last Sunday—is this: when we look at the uh, the volatility—that's a good term, isn't it, Brother Harold? The volatility of jo- of Jacob's life, don't don't we? I mean, we see mountaintops, we see him walking with God, we see excitement, God doing something in his life, and we see Joseph being one of the most ornery fellows you've ever met. And then he's back up on the mountaintop. He's back. There is an inconsistency in Jacob's life. And now I want to stop and pause and and, and make this mention of this. That as a parent, as someone who has influence over other people, our lives will affect those around us. But I want to make this statement from Joseph's side of things. Just because you grew up in an environment that did not have everything going for you spiritually that you should have had going for you does not excuse you from your making your choice to serve God. One of my dearest friends in all the world, he and I grew up together. Came from a, a family and a life that, to be real honest with you, he didn't have a whole lot going for him. When I was about 10 years old, I think it was. I first met him. He lived across the street from me. Never knew his... Never knew his. Uh, his real dad uh, was from a, a single-parent home. His mom is a precious Christian lady now, but in those years had lived a very rough life, a very difficult life. And uh, my friend Bill, is, <clears throat> he grew up without a whole lot going for him. He went to public school and, and had some, some bad influences there. But he came to church one Sunday, I'll never forget the day he came to Sunday school, and he came into the main service from Sunday school, and he said, man, I got saved this morning. Just a young guy. Man, we grew up together, went through the youth group together. He he had battles in his teen years like everybody does, and didn't have a whole lot going for him there either. But you know, he always uh, had a desire for the things of the Lord somewhere down in his heart, and... As he got older in his high school years, he came back to the Lord. Got involved in the youth program. He and I were dear, dear friends during those years. And I went off to college. I was a few years older than he was. Went off to college before him, and boy, he just couldn't wait to go to college. I was one of those guys that crammed six years or four years into six years, and uh, he, he was kind of praying, I think, that I'd take another year or two so he and I could be in college together because he wanted to go to the same college and everything. Surrendered to preach. Talked with him this week. He's pastoring a church out in Kansas. For a number of years, he was my assistant pastor when I pastored down in Florida. Can I tell you this? He would have had every reason, and nobody would have looked at him and thought any less of him if he had never made anything of his life, spiritually speaking, because they would have looked at it and said, you know, he really didn't have a whole lot going for him. But here was a young man who made his choice, he didn't get a lot of encouragement. He didn't get encouragement from mom and dad. didn't get encouragement from grandma and grandpa a whole lot. In fact, probably the opposite. Probably thinking, "Well, there's not a lot of money in ministry. And are you sure you really want to do that? And yet he remained faithful. The pastors a small church, and they struggle. They do. But God's been good to them. And I can't wait one day to stand in heaven and hear my Savior tell him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because he made his own choice. By the way, I grew up in a pastor, so my my situation was completely different. I had absolute support. But can I tell you this? I was just as responsible for my choice in life as he was for his choice in life. We've got to understand this, that you cannot just excuse away uh, the obedience to God's will for our lives just because of the background that you've come from. You must make your own choice. And here's Joseph. I mean, we look at him and we say, wow, what a young man of character. What a young man who is faithful. Had a mom who was into idolatry. Had a dad who was up one minute and down the next. And yet he was a young man who said, I want to pursue after God with all of my heart. We'll pick up there next week. Let's be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We pray that You bless it and use it. Bless the service to follow and speak to our hearts, we pray. And Lord, as we rejoice in this wonderful, wonderful resurrection day, may we keep in mind, not just this day, but throughout all the days of the year, how precious you are to us. That we have a risen Savior who's no longer in the tomb, He's no longer in the grave. That we rejoice in your resurrection. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us throughout this day, encourage our hearts, and strengthen us for the labor and the task that you have at hand in these last days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll be back in about